This episode is made possible by our generous patrons. Welcome to the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm Luke. And I'm James. And this week, we discuss the second half of Stephen King's 1983 novel, Pet Cemetery. This is doing Stephen King always makes me feel just like comfortable. Like this is our this is our comfort zone, right? It's always surprising to me how the second half of his novels always feels sim- similar, but still different enough to where you feel like you read something entirely new. Similar to what? So I felt that Pet Cemetery had a similar vibe in its ending to like The Shining and It. Really? With one major difference. Yeah, I was gonna say there is a major difference uh at the end especially uh but yeah we can get into that um but yeah man i just i've just enjoyed covering this and and i'm glad that we're gonna go see this movie now and i'm very very excited for it so uh just in case it isn't clear the second half of the novel here and then we're gonna go see the new movie this weekend and then our new episode or then our episode about the movie will come out next thursday and so this is gonna be full spoilers yeah full spoilers for the rest of the book probably for the movie too because it's gonna be mostly the same material before we get into it, we are doing a giveaway. We're very excited. We, we did this one other time back for Ready Player One, uh, but we're, we want to start doing stuff like this more often. And we are partnering with Scribner, who is the publisher for uh, Pet Cemetery. And they provided us with three copies of the novel with the movie tie-in cover for it. And we are going to be giving those away on our social media platforms, one each for Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, make sure to follow us on there and you can find out how to enter on each. Basically, you're going inter- to interact with each post in a certain way, retweet it, whatever, and then it'll it'll give you an entry. And you can enter on all three platforms. Uh, you can only win one book, but you can enter three times. And the books look great. I was really, when you sent me a picture of them, they look awesome. Yeah, it's, it's like, honestly, I like the cover better than my current cover. Like, I like my current cover on my copy, but I mm-hmm. like these new ones better because the movie, the movie, like, poster looking cover it's just really cool which do you have your copy right next to you yeah it's the one with the cat eyes oh, okay yeah that's like the new ish one yeah it's new ish it looks all right yeah but it's not as cool as is the silhouette of a uh, lewis no. creed standing against a slate gray sky on top of the deadfall it looks really cool yeah at least i that's my interpretation of the cover i think that you're <laughs> right <laughs> I guess let's let's instead of doing like general thoughts, let's just progress through it and kind of react to it as it goes. So let me give you a little summary here. So last we left left off, uh, church was back. It was the end of part one, and uh, it seemed like shit was about to hit the fan. We made some predictions, and I think they had foreshadowed Gage was going to get hit by the truck, um, but it hadn't happened yet. Right. Yeah, we were left with that massive cliffhanger. Now, going into this next part right here, you were expecting to at least see the scene, right? Yeah. Stephen King does something interesting here. One, I should say, one of the only memories I have of the original movie is the scene of the toddler standing in the road in a semi-truck bearing down on them. Right. 
that was something that scared the piss out of me when I was a little kid. <laughs> right. um, so yeah, I like I was assuming we we're gonna get this get the scene in full detail, but we kind of do, but we just get it in a weird way. But let me give the summary. Two-year-old Gage is killed by a speeding truck in a horrible accident. Overcome with despair, Lewis considers bringing his uh, his son back to life with the help of the burial ground. Judd, guessing what Lewis is planning, attempts to dissuade him by telling him the gruesome story of the last person who was resurrected by the burial ground, Timmy Baderman. Baderman died while coming home from World War II. His father, Bill, buried Timmy in that cemetery. Timmy came back as a malevolent zombie, terrorizing the town folk, before the men of the town realized that they must kill him again for good. Judd, along with three of his friends, later went to the Baderman home to kill Timmy, only for him to haunt the men with indiscretions from their personal lives that Timmy had no way of knowing. Judd and the men quickly fled in horror, while the mentally unstable Bill killed Timmy and burned their home down, killing himself. Judd states that he believes that whatever came back was not Timmy, but a demon who had possessed his corpse. He then concludes that sometimes dead is better, and states that the place has a power, its own evil purpose, and may have even caused Gage's death because Judd introduced Lewis to it. Okay, so let's stop there. Um, basically, yeah, let's 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 back up to to Gage getting hit. Um, you were you were about to say that that Stephen King does it in a, a kind of a unique way. Yeah, we shoot to basically the the funeral, right? Uh, and we're reliving everything as flashback, which is different. But I don't know if it's necessarily what I would have done. Like I understand that like that's not the typical thing to do. Uh, mm. which is why he was doing that he was subverting and trying to do something different but it also felt like it took away a lot of the impact of of losing gauge and we just dealt with the guilt of it maybe and like i said maybe that was his plan all along i think uh it was it was a deliberate choice made for a you know certain reasons and and honestly outside of king himself it can be hard to nail him down uh but what i suspect is that he felt like the scene was almost too shocking to just give straight up and to like it's it's kind of too much well we do get it basically we but do it's just that he we it's the way that he decided to give it to us he kind of he kind of reveals it in he kind of reveals it in stages right like we get we mm-hmm. know that it, he, the first thing is him telling us it's going to happen eventually and the right. second thing is like it's happened now and we're seeing the awful kind of repercussions of it and we get like a taste of like a little bit of a memory of it right and mm-hmm. then we get a more developed memory of it. And it's like he's building up to actually giving us the scene. And I think it's because King identifies that this is such a powerful moment that to just give it to us straight would be, perhaps be overwhelming or, or perhaps um, not even feel weighty enough. Whereas this gives it so much weight because we're getting it multiple times um, through different lenses. So it almost grants it more weight in a way. I don't know. It's just It's just like a very interesting way of dealing with a moment that like honestly if you're if you're sitting down to write fiction and you're like i'm gonna write a a a scene where a toddler gets run over by a truck like how do you do that because that's going to be so upsetting and so crazy and you know that that's a tall task and i think king found a way to do it i think that maintains the horror but doesn't make it feel cheap and and like like just some sort of flashy surprise yeah i mean he still does like i said he does give it to us like we still do get it in like pretty decent detail but it, it's the the idea of going through the funeral and I think even like the punching of the of the father and like all the Lewis is like replaying it in his mind over and over and he's thinking of alternate times that he like grabs the edge of his shirt and, and dives and catches him just in time 
and I do see like how that can, how thinking about it and, and then eventually revealing kind of how specifically it happened um, was building up to it. But I felt like a lot of this second part here was just tiptoeing around the things that happened. And yeah, I don't know. I feel like maybe if he hadn't left us with that, that cliffhanger at the end of part one where he was like, and then Gage would be dead, you know, however long, mm-hmm. how a couple of weeks later or whatever it was. If he hadn't given us that, then I wouldn't have been expecting the scene but because of that i felt like we didn't get the scene until like close to the end of part two which was close to the end of the book and i was like wow didn't expect to to not have it revealed so for so long right so i guess i guess i i didn't have a problem with it and and i think here's why so for me this story is being told by Lewis Creed in the future, right? We've talked about him. He's sort of remembering things. Mm-hmm. Now, that's the, it, it also is semi-omniscient because we get it, we do get other POVs outside of his, um, especially more in the second half of this book. Um, but for the most part, we're very close to Lewis's POV. And to me, this feels like how you remember things, especially traumatic events, because the moment itself of the really traumatic thing can sometimes be such an intense experience that your memory of it just becomes like really hazy. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is like a notorious problem with, with trying to interview witnesses to crimes is that they, they'll all remember different things. Like it's the people are notoriously unreliable and actually remembering like what a person looked like or what, what, how, what order things occurred in. And I think in, in doing it this way, it feels more like we're a distant Lewis remembering because he focuses more on like what came after the funeral, which is like some like I can absolutely see like some of those memories are going to stand out a lot more. Um, and it's one of those things where I think your mind kind of tries to protect you from pain. So often you'll you'll like only half remember things. And so to me, I guess he was he was approaching it from like a psychological memory standpoint. Um, which is quite different because like you can't do that in a movie obviously like you just have to give the scene in the movie Um, but in a book you can do that you can say like i'm going to write this in a way that a human remembers an event right so i I think that is something that you can do in a book that makes it kind of unique and i think that's what he's trying to do here in my opinion Um, and like i said like it's that combined with the fact that i think it's also such a weighty moment and he understands uh, you know, what would happen if he writes, wrote it that way. I don't know. I mean, like, he could have just written it that way. He could have just written the scene as is, but I kind of think this was the more interesting route to go. And and it, I agree that it was unexpected, but right. I guess I liked that it that it happened in an unexpected way. Yeah, it was, it was different. It was definitely different. And I think that that's ultimately where I landed on it was that Stephen King was trying to do something different than another author might do with this scene. Um, and, and give it in a way that maybe like you're saying, yeah, like dealt with, dealt with it in the way that an actual human would. But with all that said, I did want to say that when we get the backstory of Timmy, um, wait, wait, wait. before we get to Timmy, let's talk about the funeral. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to just glaze over that. There's a couple things with the funeral too. Cool. But the funeral, the bizarreness of the funeral and him focusing on like people bringing food and the things like the, these, like, I guess I think they're called aphorisms that people say like these, like. Uh, you, these just these little sayings like oh they're in a better place you know things like that and um, there's also a moment where someone says like at least it was quick right and he gets like he gets enraged by it and a lot of these things like really s- feel true to me and on both sides because like I've been on both sides of this and on, and on one hand like you don't know what to say to people when this kind of stuff happens so you tend to go for like 
the things that are always said, A, or B, um, you try and find a silver lining of any kind. And something like, at least it was quick, is you trying to find a silver lining, right? But it's super um, morbid and, and it, like, yeah, it's awful. Yeah, it's still an awful thing to say, but people do this all the time. Right. Um, like when I was, I, I was in my car accident, I was um, in a hospital for like a month and I was like really, really badly injured and I was in a wheelchair and all this stuff. Um, people would say like, well, at least you weren't killed. And like, absolutely, at least I wasn't killed. That is absolutely a silver lining. At least I'm still alive. And I agree with that. But sometimes it would be really frustrating because it's like, try, it, it feels kind of like it's negating the terrible thing that did happen. It's right. like, yeah, that didn't happen, but this did still happen and this really sucks. I feel like what I've realized and what I try to do if somebody's going through something is just tell them you're sorry that it's happening and say, I can't even imagine what you're going through. If you can't imagine it, just say, you know, yeah. I'm really sorry that this is happening and leave it simple. And it sounds like you don't care. Like, it, you know what I mean? Like when you're thinking of saying it, it doesn't sound like you're saying very much. But as soon as you try to say anything more, I feel like you're you're yeah. delving into an area where somebody's going to be, you know, you're not going to be helping. I agree. And, and, and just being there for someone and saying, like, if you need anything or if you need anyone to talk to, like, I'm here for you, that kind of thing. I think that's always that's always good. Um, it's when you start when people start trying to make themselves feel better. Yeah, is I think what is what it is, because that's what it becomes kind of transparent. It's like you're telling yourself that so you don't have to feel as bad about what happened. Right. And and so that can be from frustrating. And I, I just like that he that King wrote all that. Like, I think he did a lot of really smart analysis of grief in this novel. Mm -hmm. and and the power it has over us and also just the bizarre way that humans deal with it and how it is kind of like this like bad thing we don't talk about and, and that's all cut up in our burial you know rituals that we go through <laughs> i think it's also like a way for people to try and make sense of the world if something tragic happens everyone wants to find like the reason it happened right you know like like if someone dies of a heart attack but like you know that they were a drug addict earlier in their life maybe they recovered when they got later in life but they were earlier people will point to that and say well well they did a lot of, they did do a lot of drugs you know and and um so i think people always like want to point to some explanation because the like randomness of the universe is terrifying mm -hmm. and so often i think uh that impetus in people can be really frustrating too because it can be like it, it can be really frustrating for someone who's saying like no this is a tragedy it has no meaning yeah, mm -hmm. people like desperately want to find meaning. Yeah. And again, I think that's about making themselves feel better, trying to make others feel better. Um, when really, I think the the thing that has to happen is you have to like realize what has happened and, and grieve and move on from it if possible. So the other thing you pointed out that I thought was really clever was there's a chat. There's a whole chapter where Lewis basically has a dream where he says like it was all a dream. Mm -hmm. and it actually didn't go down that way. And you hinted at it. He says, actually, I, I caught him and I saved him. And it's presented as this like, I actually, it's all a twist. This didn't happen. Everything's okay. And uh, I like it because it's, it's like this reverse twist, right? Because like that's the opposite of what we normally get. Mm -hmm. And instead it's a twist. Everything was okay. But then, then the rug is pulled off from under that. And it's like, actually, no, it's not. And um, I don't know. It just felt so true to life too. Like he's having, a, it was more like he's having a dream and then he wakes back up to the horrible reality Right. Um, right. So, so you, it's an inversion of that, like everything you just saw was a dream uh, cliche. I mean, I, yeah, the whole time we knew clearly this isn't actually what's happening. It's him trying to cope with it, but it did seem true to life. It seemed like something that you would do because you, you, like I was saying before, he's, he's fantasizing about catch, like catching the, the tail of his shirt 
as he's trying to run out there or catching him just at the last second. And how can how can a moment like that not run through your mind a million times? And like thinking about the it was like he was like barely ahead of him. You know, he he like just outpaced him. And it was just this game. And, and I really like the detail that he eventually gives. And I think this is when he actually gives the details of, of the actual accident. Um, he says something about Gage's demeanor changing and realizing that his parents were screaming at him and it wasn't a game anymore right before he was hit. Yeah. And that, like, that's really affecting. I think that that's, that, like, how can you not, like, even that two-year-old kid realized at the last second that he messed up. Yeah. And, and I think... I think it's safe to say that Gage was under the influence of the pet cemetery slash being creature, uh, Wendigo, whatever you want to call even, it. Yeah, I honestly hadn't even thought about that, but you're probably right because it's influencing everyone else. He does say later that it feels like this creature like is doing all of this. Like it pulled Church into the road. It pulled it pulled Gage into the road. It it made him want people to bury. fall asleep. Like yeah, yeah it's, it's making me. people fall asleep. So that's the like big supernatural force that. That does remind me of other King novels, you know, right. like we talked about in The Shining, The Shining, you know, is not only a story about a man losing his mind, but in our opinion, a story about the the book, at least a story about a hotel or a place that's like haunted, driving a man insane mm-hmm. who maybe was already at the edge. Um, and that's the same thing here where it's like, maybe you could resist it, but if you even like remotely want to do a thing, this, this, this place is sort of like pushing you and, and egging you on and making you want to do it even more. And that's kind of like it as well. Pennywise and, and Derry is influencing the townsfolk to act certain way. Like he's pushing yeah, right. the people, people feel a certain way and then he kind of makes it worse. Yeah. makes it worse and exacerbates it and pushes them down that path. You're right. Like that, that opening, um, the the murder the opening is like a hate crime in the very early in the novel um right. we, we definitely saw that where like there was already racism and and hate but like it was being driven even more even more even more by this by this outside force um that is something that does seem to be very consistent in king's work well i know that king i know he writes other novels that aren't necessarily in fitting with this kind of structure that he has here but with these three that yeah. we've read there's very much two stories going on and you can read it as a story like you could read it as a story of a town who who doesn't pay attention to the things that you know that they're blissfully unaware and they they're constantly being influenced and you can read it as that or you can read it as this is a great town where pennywise is just invaded and influenced um or a mixture of both which i think we agree with and i think that's the same thing with the shining and with pet cemetery here yeah and he's written other things that wouldn't fit in with those that kind of formula to 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 pick a word. Right. He's written non-horror novels. Right. Like know, like Shawshank Redemption. It clearly mm-hmm. isn't going to have some sort of supernatural like Cthulhu <laughs> like uh, monster at the end of no. it. No, that would make it a very different book and movie. But yeah, I think I think I see what your point what your point is with that. Um, it's it's it'll be something interesting to track. I think as we continue to cover more King, because we definitely will down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but, but like we said, like we hinted at earlier, this novel definitely ends in a different way than the other two. Um, but let's save that for the very end. Cause I, if we're going to talk about the ending of the shining and it, I think that is, that is going to be a big spoiler for those two projects. So maybe we'll save it and we'll give like a warning and we'll save it for the very end or something. So the next thing is, is this Timmy story that we get from Judd, yes. which, which I felt was one of the strongest parts of this second half of the novel. 
I agree. Well, I mean, I think there was a lot of strong parts of this, of this, but this was a standout. This was a great moment mm-hmm. and great story. This, did this feel to you kind of like getting the stories in Derry and it getting some of the backstory, like like lore stories from the town? Because to me, it felt like we were getting a like because we got you know there's four or five stories that we get in yeah. it that are telling about the lore and like the horrors that have happened, and this was just like kind of in keeping with that i I loved it i loved it getting like younger judd and and uh all the other townsfolk together to yeah i I think it was just really um, well set up i guess i didn't think of that but i can see why you would um for me i was thinking more of honestly uh another project that we might be doing here coming up scary stories to tell in the dark Mm -hmm. um and, and this was just like it reminded me of the kind of stories that make it into that book Mm-hmm. about just the zombie that's walking down the street and i could almost see like a gruesome art of it you know i think there is a, some that looks kind of like that and right. um this was this went a lot farther than those stories ever go but um it just reminded me of like a classic camps like a campfire story that you would hear um that you would think was totally not true but was very scary right mm-hmm. and yeah man the timmy the timmy baderman story is very good and and uh it totally sets up the end of this novel. Uh, it, it provides a stark story to tell Lewis not to do the thing he's considering. Yet, um, as we see Lewis start to do the thing, it also tells us, like, this is going to be really bad when he goes through with this. Yeah. Well, I and I have a question, speaking of that. Mm-hmm. What do you think it is that makes Timmy not as violent and threatening as, like, Gage was when he came back? Do you think Gage was, like, this chosen... Like, what was it? Why was Gage the one where as soon as it took him over, it didn't, like, come back and act docile at all? Yeah. Like, like the cat did or like Timmy did? Immediately, Gage is on a warpath. I think Timmy was more like how church is um, until they they were getting ready to kill Timmy. And then this, like, otherworldly being, the Wendigo... It like kind of like th- takes control over over him, and then when he starts speaking about things he shouldn't know, and mm-hmm. uh, that like I think that's the Wendigo coming through. I don't know if it, that means it's always in there somewhere and it's just dormant, and then it comes forward, or if it's like there's like a zombie kind of off, and then he can just like pop into it. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure how it works, um, but yeah, to me it's like it wasn't. It was just kind of a zombie. And I do like that the zombie, the Stephen King zombies are different. They're not like, you know, Romero zombies. They're, they mm-hmm. actually do think and it's just like more slowly and they have like, they're similar to how they were, but different and they have mm-hmm. different like appetites, but. Which much creepier. I think it's creepier. It's much yeah. creepier. Yeah. Although, I, yeah. and like, that's not to say that like, I don't find Romero zombies creepy. I'm just saying like in this context for a zombie to have some to have it have personality and to have it have the characteristics still well and we've had a lot less saturation of this kind of zombie in pop culture <laughs> right right like whereas we've seen the other kind of zombie many times now right um but yeah so so that's my read of it so i think with gage the wendigo was was has been waiting for, i think a long time to get back in another person like that was his one chance it was angry that it didn't work out and then it was waiting just for its opportunity to get back into a person. And mm-hmm. so Gage presented that opportunity. And so, because it seemed like Judd and the creature had this history, right? And like mm-hmm. it immediately came for Judd. It had unfinished business. 
Right. And this is reminding me of something else that's jumping a little bit ahead, but I think we should touch on it now. Okay. Is the, we're getting this back and forth in Lewis's head where he's, he, he's, he's kind of talking to himself and one mm-hmm. of his voices will be like, will be like, just do it. Why stop complaining? Just do it. And I feel mm-hmm. like that's the Wendigo is like penetrated into his mind. And his, that's like, we're getting on the page, the Wendigo's influence, um, literally within his own mind, which I found really yeah. interesting. And we, we even get a bit of it when, when Rachel's trying to come back and he's like, yeah. stay out of it. And she's just like, it's almost, it, it's on the page and it goes by so quickly. And if you keep reading past that, you won't stop to really realize that like she's being influenced in such a, such a blatant way. Yeah. But I, I think it works really well. It's, it's creepy too. Cause it's like, we see it's skipping out a little bit, but we see all of our human characters other than Lewis trying to fight against it and and you know the wendigo's supernatural powers forcing like forcing them to not be able to um and to me this makes this elevates this wendigo up to 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 a really high powerful status as much as anything from the shining or even pennywise himself perhaps um it's quite a powerful force that's that would be something to think about is the battle royale of of these three of these three creatures, which one is more powerful in the in the, in the power? I have a tiers. feeling that if we if we read all the Dark Tower, <laughs> like we might we might get some of this. Yeah, because sure. uh, I don't know how much I don't know if there are Wendigos in there, I, and honestly, don't tell us if there are because we will probably be covering Dark Tower perhaps when it when the new adaptation comes out. But I know that that's what kind of connects all of this macroverse stuff, and and uh, I am curious, and I, you know, maybe it's blasphemy to say this seems like it could be as powerful as Pennywise, so. I don't know, because cause I think the Wendigo is also like, that's just what people call it. I don't think that's what it is, you know? Like, it's something greater than that. Well, I think all three of these, uh, the Shining monster, the like all, all three of the, the monsters that we've seen are clearly, we should, we should save this for the end, but the last thing I want to say about it is all three of them are clearly more than meets the eye. They're not, they're not just the Wendigo isn't just the Wendigo. It's clearly yeah. something from somewhere else or yeah, Pennywise isn't just a clown. <laughs> exactly. So the window, I don't, I don't think we're supposed to think that the Wendigo is just this massive creature walking through the woods. I think it's from somewhere else. And I think it's, uh, you know, we don't know it's true form. Uh, all right, let me get a little more, I think a little more, uh, summary in here. So just a little piece here, and then we can react to it. Despite Judd's warning and his own reservations about the idea, Lewis's grief and guilt spur him to carry out his plan. Lewis exhumes Cage's, Gage's body from his grave and inters him in the pet cemetery, or the burial ground beyond the deadfall in the pet cemetery. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I wanted to give this its own reaction area because there's so much work by King done in the parts we just talked about establishing the level of grief that Lewis is feeling and then walking him through the steps in his own mind that he takes to get to the point to where he's willing to try this thing. Mm -hmm. And he's, it's so well done because on the surface of it, it's like, why would he ever do that? He would never do it. It's clear that he shouldn't do it. Right. But he sells us on the grief and then he sells us on the idea of like the sliver of hope he has of like maybe it'll be okay. Maybe and like, if I do it while my family's not here. And he comes up with this plan and then he's like I'll kill I'll kill Gage if it doesn't work out and it'll just be something I have to deal with, but I want to try it just to see what happens and and then we also know that there's the influence and I think that he wouldn't have probably wouldn't have done it without the influence. But he, it's like enough there to kind of convince us that a person could try this. 
yeah. and might try this even in these circumstances. Knowing where it ends, we we see that Lewis is clearly losing it. He's going crazy. He's going insane. Yeah. And it's it, I like to look at where the line is blurred between the influence of the Wendigo and and him going insane because when he's in the graveyard, I think is a is a big moment of the influence laying off a little bit. I feel like like he clearly went to the graveyard because the of the original it. graveyard that Gage's body was originally yes. interred. Yes. Okay. So so when he's in that graveyard at, that night, I think the Wendigo's influence got him there. But I think once he once he was there, it was his own. Like he'd already decided that this was his plan, and then I think the Wendigo kind of let it let it go from there. I think that it wasn't until he was taking Gage to the pet cemetery that he was even doubting his plan. And then the okay. Wendigo's influence came back in a little bit. I I feel like I can safely say that Lewis had lost it by the time he when he was digging up Gage. It was it was he was gone. Right, and 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 for us to believe that this man is losing his mind, we have to be shown the like uncontrollable grief he's dealing with Mm -hmm. and that's why i think all of this funeral stuff and all of this and and like selling the the closeness to his family and and the love for his son and and all of this has to pay off for us to buy this moment and then i also want to give king huge props for like the most realistic i think grave digging grave robbing scene right like that goes on for a while it's this big operation he has to climb over the fence he keeps thinking he's going to get seen um, he loses his keys, but then he, they're in his pocket or they're in the ignition or whatever. I think that's what it was, the ignition. Um, I don't know. There's so many great details in that, and uh, it makes it seem extremely difficult, and it, it feels different than what we what we see in movies, right, where it always it seems like it's the easiest thing in the world to just go in and grave rob. And here it's like, no, this is a really hard thing to do. Because of the de- the extreme amount of detail that we get and the way that the, the struggles that he goes through and, and how long this actual portion is, it evokes the f- idea that you're actually there in a way that yeah. I don't think many great robbing scenes have ever done because you he, he, there's so many little details. Like when he goes to the gate and he tries the gate and he's like, I can't believe I would have been so stupid as to think that the gate would be open at 11 o'clock at a at a graveyard in a city and he's like well maybe i should put it off until tomorrow and then he's like no it's too late you're already here you it has to go down tonight um so they're just like the the, he's like hitting these walls that he has to overcome and he's constantly just like pushing through them and i think i don't know again i don't know if that's the windigo's influence how exhausting it is to to dig up the bed to give up the grave and And it's hours it's hours and hours of him there trying to figure out how to do it how to get how to get because once he realizes the gate is locked he has to get over a nine foot spiked fence and 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 the horrific moment of him actually opening up his son's coffin Mm -hmm. right and god king does such a great job of building building anticipation because that also that, this whole scene serves for that too because we know at the end of this scene he's opening up the the coffin of his son mm-hmm. and man it's just it's so well done and then uh it delivers the scares it delivers the the, the like the disgust and horror and the tense the tense nature of everything with the cops potentially showing up and shining their flashlights and people bark like dogs barking and people nearby and then such a great detail that he has to put his son like in the passenger seat instead of in the trunk. And I mean, how amazing was that moment when he was arguing with himself about whether that was the Wendigo again, the inner monologue. He had to he had to see if Gage was facing forward in in the passenger seat because he he thought he was horrified to think that maybe he was his knees and everything was was were bending the wrong way in the passenger right. seat. 
and the Wendigo's like, who cares? Like, I mean, my interpretation of the Wendigo, the the inner mm-hmm. monologue he's having is like, who cares? It doesn't matter. And he's like, I have to know. And he, you know, what's also interesting is I think there was kind of another voice that would sometimes come into his head, and it was like the voice of reason. Mm-hmm. Well, I th- I thought that that was him fighting the influence. Is it could be, yeah. But you could also read it as another outside influence. Okay, a little turtle action. Um, I think you could look at. You could look like there's maybe a little turtle in here. There's a little bit of like some sort of like force of goodness or something that isn't as powerful. Um, I don't I don't know that that's what's happening, but there were times where I felt like that might be what's going on. I don't know. Like if you mm-hmm. wanted to attribute certain thoughts to an outside force, it could be that. But it could just be his own that, self. Yeah. And I think the ambiguity of it is what makes it brilliant, right? Like you, it's impossible to say. I w- and something I wanted to say about the the pet cemetery, and I think what it, another author may have written into the story, I was predicting that this may have played a part, was the initial pet cemetery where kids are are taking care of their their pets and like going and making sure that that is kept tidy. I felt like that was going to be a force of good. I felt like that idea of the children still like grieving over their lost pets and the way that they take care of them was going to be somehow be like a force for good that was going to fight against some sort of force for evil. Mm. But it wasn't written into the story. But I just felt like that 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 was maybe layered in there. It could have potentially been. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, so yeah, and then we get we get the actual process of him bringing bringing Gage's body past the deadfall and into the actual burial grounds. Um, and mm-hmm. we see, man, like it, this is like walking into the upside down or, or, or crossing into another dimension or something. He's, he's hearing noises and it seems like he sees everything more clearly now. He doesn't have mm-hmm. uh, Judd there to like tell him, oh, it's just, you know, swamp gas or just the loons, you know, from somewhere else you're hearing. Like he hears laughter. He sees this crazy face in the mist. And then he, he sees like a tree that's been knocked over and by a giant and and he sees like at the very end of it um the windigo essentially right and and or what we think is the windigo and god mm-hmm. it's such a cool scene like it's 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 mm-hmm. it's really really cleverly done it, it builds to this moment and and it delivers and genuinely the the windigo scene that little sliver of windigo that we get and the way that king describes it it's horrifying yeah much like i did not remember that the Wendigo is 60 feet tall <laughs> and like this forest, massive giant creature that's yeah. knocking over trees easily. And, and the way that he describes the atmosphere when it's nearby and all of the, all of the birds stop singing or. Yeah. And the clear, the clearest look at it, correct me if I'm wrong, is, is him. He has a dream about it when he gets back. Right. And he, he has a dream about it. And in the dream, um, multiple people are standing underneath it, including, Rachel covered in blood and he doesn't know why Mm -hmm. and um, all the people that have died and the bull and church and all the stuff and they're all like looking up at this looming giant with the it's like serp it's like reptilian and it has like these horns on his head and it has lamp like fog lamp eyes that are that are described really creepily like yeah a specific detail was the tongue there were like a scaly tongue tongue and the scale like opens and a worm comes out and i was like oh god (laughs) yeah so it's it's it is very lovecraftian it's like almost beyond beyond imagining and the size of it and the the power behind it and then the fact that like in the dream that one detail of having rachel be there covered in blood lends like lends credence to the dream is it not just being a dream like it's actually something more 
And um, that's done a lot. I mean, through Ellie, we see that multiple times, right? Where she, her dreams are predicting things or she's reacting to things that are actually happening. Um, she's got to be. If, if we're talking just in terms of the Stephen King universe here, she's got to be shining. Yeah, she's, you think? She's predicting things like exactly how how Halloran or, or Danny did in The Shining. Mm, I like that. Okay, let me get some more summary here. Gage returns from the dead as a monstrous de- demonic shadow of his former self and kills both Judd and Rachel. After killing Church, Lewis confronts his son and sends him back to the grave with a lethal injection of chemicals from his medical supply stock. Now, did you expect this to go so quickly? I will say the Judd killing scene and the and the Rachel killing scenes were, were pretty wild. Let's take each of those as they happen. So so Judd, Judd uh, he goes for a cleaver. And he's like, I'm going to take care of this thing once and for all. And, he, and Judd feels guilty. Like, he knows that he sort of caused this through his actions. And he did, because <laughs> he's the one who told Lewis about the pet cemetery. Um, but he decides he's going to face it. And he's like, he's like, he feels ownership over it, right? With the whole, like, you know, the, the man's ground is, soil is stonier. I can't remember the exact quote. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's, and then also you buy it, you, you own it or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You, you pay for it, you own it. When you pay for it, you own and all that. Yeah. Um, we're getting those probably wrong. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Slightly. Yeah. Um, regardless, he feels ownership. He feels like this is his thing to take care of. So he goes after it. And then church is the one who darts out and trips him up. And then, uh, and then, yeah, we get the stabbing. And and I just love when Gage starts speaking to him with, like, Norma's voice and, and, and all this stuff and, and the voice of the Wendigo itself. Um, God, it's, so, it's so creepy. And it's a little kid, little zombie kid talking. Like, it's, it's dark and, and effective. Something about, I think it was in The Shining as well, uh, something about kids talking about, like, sex and, and very specifically, like, uh nora was in nora's voice he was saying that nora had sex with like all of his friends and all this i think that there's something in the shining that's similar but it's king knows that like if a kid is saying something like that it's gonna be so it's horrifying and also like so wrong so wrong yeah it's it's like so taboo because like a kid shouldn't be saying that yeah right yeah it's very effective um and and then and then the rachel scene i just wanted to also highlight i think it's brilliantly done because we see Rachel, she finally arrives, and she thinks that Judd's hurt, so she goes in, and then um, there's all these horrific things building up to tell her that what's going on here is wrong, and then she finally sees Gage, and he is wrong, and he's rotten, and she can smell him, and she can see that he is, like, off color, and, and something's terribly wrong with him, right? Leading all the way up to that, you're like, okay, she's going to run. She's going to run. She's going to scream, whatever. But she doesn't. She, like, literally embraces him and mm-hmm. says, like, Gage. It's, and, 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 like, that's such a smart move because I think it, like, that speaks to the power of grief. And, and like, ultimately, no matter what, no matter all that stuff he just told you, this is her son she's seeing again. So that's mm-hmm. her reaction. How, how did you feel about Gage basically becoming Zelda? Yeah, and and like, fa- and like even face after that, changing. she still hugs him, right? Yeah, because that's like that was like the ultimate. That that to me was very Pennywise. That was like this creature knows what you're afraid of. You know what I mean? Right. Um, well, also also the Shining. Remember how it's like face changes a bunch of times when 
at the very end. Yeah, so I guess these supernatural forces in King books, you could say one of the things is that they can perceive your fears and use them against you. Um, yeah, which and is become powerful. them, become their your fears. Yeah, yeah, embody them. <laughs> That's true. Um, yeah, so I just thought that was really well done. And then we don't see her die, but then like later when Lewis finds her and she, her eyes are all bulged out, and we just know that she horrifically got stabbed to death by her son. Like this is the this is way darker in my opinion than um, it was or The Shining. Yeah. Th- this is a this is a darker novel, and I think that's that's the big difference. It's very it's it, it that's why I think it's in addition to the subject matter, it's mm-hmm. King's scariest book in his perspective, um, as well as I think a lot of people's. Just because it, it doesn't pull anything, it, it doesn't. I don't think it really leaves room for happiness. Yeah, it's just there's a lot of uh, struggles and then a lot of failures. Yeah, for sure. So also uh, let's, let's react to Lewis. Uh, he, he gets his, he gets his medical bag. He gets his, I do like that. It is like morphine. Cause it's, it makes sense that a doctor would go to the thing he knows. Like he doesn't get a gun. He doesn't get an ax. Mm-hmm. He gets syringes full of morphine and right. he goes in and it's very like, he's, he's like euthanizing them almost. Right. So he goes and he, he and he kills church which is like, mm-hmm. even though Church is a zombie cat who I've seen do terrible things, I still feel so bad for this cat in this moment. Like, yeah. it's, it's, I don't know, it's impossible for me not to, I guess. Oh, I did want to say about Judd, um, ultimately he goes down because he kind of fall, he, he's egged on by the Wendigo and Gage by those, those things that yeah. I'm saying. And he, he like lunges at him and that's the moment that, that Church jumps out to trip him. And I thought that it was, it, with everything he knows and everything he's been through, ultimately he, he still can't fight the influence of the Wendigo. Yeah, that's true. So once Lewis gets inside, we see him. We see him uh, have like he has a battle with Gage here, and and I thought actually I was in, I was sort of impressed that Lewis was able to go for Gage, and not be because he wasn't really taken in by Gage's influence. It felt like to me like he he kind of just went for it. I I think it's because of because we saw Rachel. He saw Rachel. He saw Rachel. I agree. And then it's also like he had been stealing himself for this possibility. And when he sees Rachel, it confirms his worst fear that like that. And so now it's like that whole thing about taking ownership. I think he's he he has fully taken that on now and says like, okay, I've taken ownership. I'm gonna do the thing I have to do. Which is interesting because ultimately some different stuff goes on in a, a couple scenes from now. Right. Well, we 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 can we can do it here. Um, but he uses this moment to do the right thing, which yeah. doesn't really jive with what he does in a couple more scenes. Which I I don't know. What, where do you see this turn coming from? Because he actually does kill Gage. So I like that it was written in such a way that hints at him taking Rachel's body out. Right. Because because it mentions like him going to her body and I think wrapping her up. Um, mm-hmm. And and then and then it cuts to him like dousing everything in gasoline. Oh, I just figured it out. Actually, I think I know why specifically. Okay, he was okay with killing Gage and then going to get. Why don't you just finish it and then I'll, I'll say it. I'll finish the story. Okay, so let me just read the rest of the summary. After burning the Crandall house down, Lewis returns to the burial ground with his wife's corpse, thinking that if he buries the body faster than he did than he did Gage's body, there will be a different result. The book Which... ends with Lewis sitting with his back to the door playing solitaire, listening for Rachel's reanimated corpse walk up behind him and drop a cold hand on his shoulder with her voice rasping, darling. So, yeah, this is what I was just talking about. The king cleverly plays with the audience here, and we think that he's doing the right thing and taking Gage down, but ultimately he's just justified it to himself that if he takes out Gage and then quickly gets Rachel into the pet cemetery and buries her there, 
then she will come back and she will be more more normal and not not tainted by something because it gage had sat for so long that something was able to taint him in that time is is his uh justification yeah um i I, so yeah i mean like i guess i i read it a similar way and i I see what you're saying um for me it's like when he takes down gage he's doing the right thing like you said but rachel dying is another moment of that acute just like almost mind-breaking grief that he felt with with gage's death and even mm-hmm. as he's dealing with the responsibility of taking care of Gage, he is he's faced with a new round of, of acute grief. And it literally is driving him insane on top of everything else. And he, like I guess like he's operating on two levels. Like on one level he's taking care of his business, but on the other level, once again, the temptation is too strong. And just the idea that like he could maybe if the if the body was fresher, it would work out. That idea alone is enough to give the Wendigo hooks to influence him again. Because I think this is the Wendigo who dies and then immediately starts influencing him again to come back again. Yeah. And so it's, to me, that's when, when Rachel comes back at the end. It's not just Rachel coming back. That's the Wendigo coming back. For sure. Yeah, yeah. I definitely agree with that. I just think yeah. that the way that King played with the audience expectations, yeah. the, the reader expectations. Yeah, because you think you're getting a happy ending, right? The result of bringing Gage back, is there any world where you thought maybe he would bring Rachel no. back? So I actually did. I So I thought like, okay, he's doing it. Especially when it says something about wrapping the body because it didn't make sense for him to do that. I was like, oh, yeah. he's going to try and bring her back. Um, But then when we cut over, because we actually get another POV. It's through like, uh, I think his name's like Steve or something. I think so. At the yeah, end. His friend Steve from, from the clinic. From the clinic. Steve comes and he ca- he like encounters Lewis taking the body over the deadfall to go back into the to the gravesite and I thought that we were going to get Steve somehow causing it to break. Now it doesn't make sense narratively in retrospect cuz like Steve was nobody, he was he was not even like a side character, so it makes no sense for him to play a major role in the end here. Um so what ends up happening does make sense then that he doesn't do anything. <laughs> um but he just bears witness, I guess for us is the one thing he does. I just I, what I was thinking is we talked about last episode is this kind of like cyclical nature of it where, yes, when you bring a pet there, when you bring someone there and you know of it, eventually you influence someone else to go back in there. And I thought we were going to see him bring his friend Steve in there and then Steve would see all of this go on. And then like the audience would think that maybe somewhere down the line, Steve would carry on the tradition and bring something that he loved or someone that he loved there to bring them back and the cycle would continue. But he doesn't. Um, he does say that he never he never returns. Um, so I think Steve, because maybe because he doesn't actually go with him into there, he almost does, but he doesn't. And then he says he he felt like he was very close to get brushed by something mysterious and and horrible, right? Well, he saw the yellow eyes. He saw so. the yellow eyes, yeah. And and he he dreams of the, he, we get that little section where he talks about how only in his dream does he does he really remember that day at all, and he and he sees the Wendigo and and is, yeah. wakes up in a cold sweat and think it's really great detail there at the end oh also uh, last time i just remember we were we were theorizing about what the oz the great and terrible thing was about and it's definitely mm-hmm. like that's the wendigo which the wendigo is also also kind of equated to death itself mm-hmm. um and those two are kind of interchangeable i think in this story like if, if death was a was a was a force and that force was malevolent then that force would also be the wendigo i guess yeah so that keeps coming back. We also get these Bible quotes. Like we get a Bible quote at the start of part three, a Bible summary or something where it's, you know, Lazarus commands them to come forth and all this stuff. And 
Um, there's also a really brilliant breakdown of like spirals and how that symbol has appeared and, you know, in ancient Egypt and throughout time and in nature and all this stuff. Right. And that's all absolutely true. And well, I love the, the, the actual, they're talking about like the chaotic nature of a spiral, the beginning and the end and yeah. where does it start? Where does it end? And I, yeah. I love that. And connecting it to where it all, all is leading somewhere and, you know, to the other, other side of perhaps the veil or something. Um, it, so, so all of that leads to like, it justifies what's happening and it sells it, right? And it sells it in a way. It's like, this is in our Bible. This is in our history. This is in the universe itself. So believe this thing, that this is real. And mm-hmm. and even though we know it's fiction, when King is like telling us all these, giving us all this proof, it's selling it to where if you have just like an ounce of doubt about like, could something like this actually happen? It just makes it all the, you know, all the more terrifying. Uh, you brought up the the Bible uh, mm-hmm. stories and Bible allegories, I guess, that he that he puts throughout. And the one that really stuck out to me was when Judd was trying to stay awake under the influence of the Wendigo. And they compare it to Paul falling asleep when the Romans come to take Jesus. Yeah. And how Paul fell asleep and Judd fell asleep. And, and I thought that that was a really interesting comparison that he was making. Yeah. I mean, I think it's all for the same reason, right? Like it's, it's that's kind of hinting that this force has been around for a long time and maybe maybe was influencing things throughout history, right? And, and or, or forces like it, I guess. Right. And there was a moment where something was even said about uh, Christianity. And I, I can't remember if it's Lewis in, in his inner monologue thinking about something, but he, they're talking about Jesus and they're talking about the Bible and they're talking about Christianity. And then Lewis thinks about how like something far more ancient and far more terrifying has has always been there and and he's sensing the presence of this and how um how like small these other religions feel in comparison to that or something along those lines do you remember that yeah i think that's that's all serving the same effect right yeah as we're getting to the end here we also see lewis insane hair's white he looks aged and his he, he he just he's mad right and he's carrying his wife's corpse um I thought that was a really just cool detail showed that like he's, he's gone through hell and it's affected him and it's changed him. Um, I'm wondering, do you think we'll see a white haired Lewis Creed in, uh, in the adaptation? I don't think we get the the epilogue here. I don't think we get it in the movie. Well, you don't think, you don't think he brings back his wife in the movie? No, I do think we get that. I just don't think we get the scene where he's like talking to the cops with the hat on and the, the gloves on and all that before his wife comes back. Yeah, um, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, well, his wife's definitely coming back. <laughs> I definitely think that's happening. Well, let's let's save uh, some more some more uh, predictions, maybe for the, like the very end of the episode. But just to, just to get back to the to the book itself, um, the monster in this book to me is is a monster. Like if if I guess it's kind of a spoiler for it. Um, so so I want to I want to give like a light spoiler warning for it, but. If you could say that Pennywise is sort of like fear, like a god of fear or like a fear incarnate. And I don't even know if that's true, but I feel like he kind of is. Um, to me, this monster is more like grief, like grief incarnate. Or death. Or, or death. just death, yeah. But I think specifically like the grief we feel t- towards death. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe that's a facet of death. I, I like to think that King was contemplating the grief he would feel over the loss of his son which we know we talked about in the first episode there was he had a close call with owen 
Mm-hmm. And in contemplating what that grief would feel like, he attributed it to like, what if there was a creature that it could inhabit, like could embody that grief and could, and that was its power, right? Like he, he's giving symbolic substance to an idea. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Pennywise is kind of that for fear and, and, and here the Wendigo is kind of that for grief uh, over the loss of, of someone near, near and dear to you. Yeah. Um, and so in, in, in that way, I think it's really cool, right? It's, it's, um, I always, I'm, I, 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 like when I encounter something that's like such a big wild idea, I want to try and figure out like, how did that start? And I'm mm-hmm. wondering if, if maybe it was something like that. Also light spoiler for, for shining since we're, since we're doing the yeah. it shining P- pet cemetery. I wanted to know what you thought what would his what would the shining boil down to and what would the monster represent if there was if it was the god of something that's a that's a great question um for the shining if i had to try and pick something i think it's more like it's a little different but it's more like man's capacity for evil against its fellow man Mm -hmm. um because to me it's like it goes back to you know, uh, the the eradication of the Native Americans in that area. Um, we see a lot of crime going on in the hotel. And, you know, ch- there's a, definitely a chicken and egg thing of like what's causing it and what's, 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 uh, what's causing what. But to me, it's all about just kind of like senseless violence that people are capable of. And, and since the senselessness of it also lends itself to insanity. So I think that's why we see uh, Jack Torrance lose his mind. Um, so to me, like, I guess it's less targeted and more just kind of like a, like a free, just like the, the senseless violence that humans are capable of given, given form in the, in the form mm-hmm. of the hotel. Is that, how does that sound? I don't know. I'm just pulling something out of my ass. <laughs> no, I mean, I think you're right. I, I, it's hard to boil it down to one word for the shining because it, because this is also kind of a character going insane over time yeah. by the influence but for of a something. specific reason. But, Right. Like and I think but it's like, yeah. And with Jack Torrance, it's specifically like the family that he loves. Eventually he grows to hate or, or yeah, he just starts hating. You know, them. Yeah. He hates them and he, he, yeah, under the influence, but also maybe some, like some feelings of he, he's not able to accomplish or be a successful or be the person he wants to be because of his family. But yeah, yeah. And then there's also that stuff that's baked in with the actual hotel. And the reason why the hotel is, is the way that it is because of that, this cycle of violence. So yeah, the ending here. Now that we're doing some some spoilers, um, and a spoiler for the ending of uh, a full on spoiler for the ending of it and The Shining. Um, those stories both have happy endings. Ultimately, um, bad shit goes down, people die, but the thing is defeated. Mm-hmm. In stark contrast, this novel, the thing is not not defeated. The Wendigo is back at the end. Um, Lewis Lewis has given in to its power. And we're not left with the feeling of like you could face all this terrible stuff, but at the end you come out the other side and you're okay that the other two books give you. This book doesn't give you that. This book gives you like that, that all the other way that a lot of horror goes. And that's, you're just left with the horror of it and you're, you're, you have to sit with it and there is no silver lining at the ending. That, that gives, I think some credence to the idea that maybe the Wendigo is death because in yeah. thinking of, of it, fear can be overcome. 
yeah. and maybe with the shining um violent like a cycle of violence could be overcome but you can't overcome death and it's it's eternal it's yeah. going to happen and maybe maybe that has something to do with it like the hopeless nature of it and the way that you you can't beat it yeah or and and you could also say maybe maybe grief itself being an even more powerful emotion right like it's because because grief over losing someone you know a lot of people tell you like it never really goes away it changes or it it can soften over time in certain ways but often it's it's like it never goes away and uh whereas like fear can sometimes be conquered completely and driven out and 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 i guess in that sense like maybe you're right maybe that is why he chose not to have sort of the happy ending here um and, and honestly, I think this is also just the more appropriate n- narrative ending for this story, too. Um, just because all the things we talked about, you know, like, the, and, and Lewis makes so many mistakes that it doesn't feel right for him to get away scot-free at the end or something. Or even not get away scot-free, but, like, to survive this thing and be okay. Like, he needs to have yeah. really bad repercussions, and that's what we're yeah. seeing. And I guess, I guess, with that being said, Jack Torrance still succumbs to sure. what he is de- dealing with, and and he makes a lot of mistakes along yeah. the way too. So both of them kind of get their comeuppance. Yeah. But Rachel, but Rachel dies in this book. Wendy does right. not in The Shining. You know what I mean? So, so the, I think yeah. that the the in 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 more ways, like because Rachel didn't deserve any of this. Uh, Gage didn't deserve it. This is all. This is all. Um, this is all darker, in my opinion. So, so Lewis needs to have an even worse fate, I guess. And Lewis's family gets caught up in it. Yeah. Um, Ellie, I guess we we can assume survives and is okay, or and perhaps haunted by it. Her grandparents, but, but yeah. she's with her grandparents, so she's not there for it. Which I, you know, so that's if you want to look for the one character that maybe escapes and is okay. I wonder if um I would love to hear people who have read like all of King's work. <laughs> Um, does Ellie Creed ever show up again or get mentioned again in any of his other novels? I'd be really interested. I, I think there was, um, I think there was like sequels to Pet Cemetery, and maybe, maybe her story was told in like Pet Cemetery 2 or the, like there was, like, I, don't I, know there was like a, I don't think there's another novel. So if, if no, so, no, no, that no. would be a movie. No, movie, movie okay. specific. Yeah. Okay. I don't, so I don't know different. if that's actually true. I think that I heard something about like Pet Cemetery 3. Maybe, I don't think that ever came out, but that would have been the plot of it or something. Okay, we have to look into that for sure. Okay, so I think let's save for the very end some predictions for what we're going to get out of this adaptation. Now, you've seen the other 80s adaptation, and I haven't. Um, mm-hmm. So so it'll be interesting to see like how you think they might stay to the same or they might try something different. Um, but yeah, I'm just going to throw out random shit. I'll probably be wrong. But uh, let's save that for the very end. Same here, um, yeah. I'll probably be wrong. Okay, well, that, that was fun, man. So we just wanted to thank a brand new patron, Sean L. Uh, thank you so much for signing up to support us. Uh, he's going to get access to all of the bonus content we have out now. We have a new episode, new bonus content episode that just came out. It's us uh, giving our Game of Thrones houses and reacting to the short story Lucero, which was written by Andy Weir, canonical fan fiction for Ready Player One. <laughs> Com- complicated, but um, if you're a Ready Player One fan at all, you might want to check that out. Um, in order to get access to that, visit patreon.com forward slash ink to film and you can find all the stuff that we're offering our patrons. Also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all of those at ink to film. 
and join our Council of Inklings, which is our Facebook group where we post polls and, and other, other uh, adaptation-related news. And also make sure you, if you're on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, make sure you like and retweet and uh, do everything you can to try to win those, those Pet Cemetery novels that we're giving out. Yeah, that's right, man. We got three novels. They're looking great. I want to give them out. So make sure you enter. You can enter up to three times on those platforms. It's all explained in the post itself. You'll see all the rules and, and what you got to do. But definitely enter. Um, and yeah, uh, if you like this episode, please give us a rating and a review on wherever you download podcasts. And, you know, uh, that helps us immensely get, uh, get recognition and get, get the word out. If you wanted to leave feedback, you can write in to inktofilm at gmail.com. And we wanted to say thank you to Jennifer Delazana for providing our transcripts. And thank you to Ross Bugden for the use of our intro and outro music. All right, man. So let's get some Pet Cemetery movie predictions. Uh, I'm realizing that I'm probably going to have to go see this movie alone. Uh, which Uh-oh. is going to be added creep, right? Like you don't have anyone there to help you like <laughs> other than some strangers um, because my yeah. wife is not going to see this movie. <laughs> I can tell you that much right now. Uh, she does not do this kind of scary stuff. And, and I don't really know anyone else in town who would be interested in this sort of thing, I don't think. Um, mm-hmm. If anybody I know is listening to this and you do want to go see Pet Cemetery, let me know. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't really want to go see it alone, but I will if I have to. <laughs> What I want you to do is if you if you end up going alone, I want you to go to like a 2 a.m. showing or like a 1 a.m. showing <laughs> real, real really late. late at night by yourself in the theater by yourself. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so let's come up with some predictions, man. Yeah. What, what's what's your predictions? How are they going to how do you think this because this adaptation is getting good reviews. Right. And so it feels to me like they must have done something better than the original. Smarter, maybe. I don't know if it's through adding stuff to the through their adaptations or maybe addressing things that the other movie failed to like address in the adaptation mm-hmm. process. Um, but I, I haven't seen the other one, so I don't know. So my theory of kind of what we can expect from this movie is I think with the success of it, I think we're going to see a very similar toned film. Maybe not quite as like goonies-esque with the, the children this will be more yeah, I adult say, I, maybe i don't know we'll get that <laughs> i just mean i just mean in terms of an adaptation like in terms of the overall vibe of the scariness i think that i think that it's going to be a scary movie but i don't think that it's going to be like something that that i don't know then again i have no idea but my yeah. predictions for it are different director it's going to be, so yeah yeah, who knows? I, I just think that like they've that they, they've seen like a king adaptation. Like I think you have to go lean into the things that make the movie that made the the book popular. Mm-hmm. Because if you if you shy away from some of those things because you feel like audiences aren't interested, you're probably not going to hit the the same people the same way. So I think we're definitely seeing the Wendigo. Yeah, I was going to say, are we going to see the Wendigo? Yeah. You think we are? We see the Wendigo for sure, in my opinion. Um, see, I kind of I kind of don't think we are going to see it. I we have to. I think we have to. I, I think th- in order to to get that sort of dread and that scariness that people are talking about, and and people are like, it's so good. Like it can't just be this force that's bringing things back. Yeah, it's got to be like. Because I was thinking it might be kind of more like like a possession, like one of those. I haven't seen all these movies, but there's all these like possession movies that are really popular and like haunting movies, and um, yeah. I need to see more of them because some of them apparently are really good. Um, but I feel, I feel like we're going to get a creepy kid. We're going to get creepy kind of like ghost-like hauntings through the sister. Yeah, I don't know. Are we going to get this supernatural being? Are we going to see a 60-foot windigo walking through a forest? I don't necessarily. <laughs> it's not going to be like broad daylight, see a 60-foot windigo. I think there's going to be something lurking in the woods for sure. Yeah. 
Cool. I hope so. Um, the one thing that I know for a fact is uh, there's a bunch of kids wearing animal masks because uh, that was in the trailer. <laughs> and what? So what function are they going to serve? Because we have Judd already is going to tell them about the pet cemetery. So who are these kids, and what what is their narrative function? I think they're just the kid. I think those are the kids that are taking care of the the original pet cemetery, not the one that brings people back. The okay. one that like I think they're just the kid. You don't think, think they, they have just... any greater function than that? They're not going to like. I don't think so. Harass uh, Lewis Creed's family in some way, or or, or um, who maybe, knows what? It could could be, but I, I don't think so personally. I think I think that, that that's like a interesting looking shot for the trailer that gets people gets people in and i think it'll be cool to see them in the actual pet cemetery and i think maybe it'll make it feel more ritualistic and it'll get that across yeah. the audiences that there's like some ritual like weird stuff going on so i feel like we we are we're we're kind of saying like we think it's going to be a pretty faithful adaptation but if if um if the track record of how these adaptations go it's probably going to be a lot different. <laughs> We're probably dead wrong. It's probably going to be reimagined in multiple ways um, because that's what often happens in adaptations. Not always, but often happens. Um, so yeah, it's, it's so hard to predict because you're getting a director and screenwriter's vision of another bit of material. Um, and it's also like, hey, by the way, like people who keep saying that this is a remake of the night of the 1989 movie, that always annoys me because it's not. <laughs> um Whenever you're adapting from a source material, to me, you're just getting a new adaptation of the source material, not a remake of the movie. You know what I mean? Like, that's a distinction that, that I like to point out, because I don't think they're watching the old movie and going, what do we want to take from the old movie? What do we want to get rid of? I think they're going back to the novel and ignoring the old movie as if it didn't exist. In my yeah, I'm on, and yeah, that's something that I that I constantly feel like needs to be talked about too, because there's yeah. so much so much of that that goes on where. If you're going to you're basically saying this movie came out and some people love it, but let's tell the story that was trying to be told down to a T. And I think we got that with like it. If you think about the, yeah. the miniseries and then we got the movie, I think the movie's a lot more faithful. We'll see how of it chapter two, if it delivers. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. Yeah. But yeah. but I think that you can see that uh, you can see that a lot. I mean, I mean, it was faithful in some ways, but in other ways, they did change a lot. We, we didn't get we didn't get I mean, we're getting into it now, but we didn't get a lot of those like uh, classic horror monsters that that were in the novel. So and still it was reimagined in some ways. Um, and, and I think we'll continue to see more of that. Um, but yeah, man, I'm just excited. Um, I'm, I'm very amped up to see this movie now. Uh, and I'm, I'm so glad I read this to me. This feels like a classic King novel. I think it's like mm -hmm. a must read if you if you want to, you know, consider yourself a King fan, which I do. And I feel like I can finally say that for real now because <laughs> I've read this novel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's definitely one of the ones to catch. Um, I feel like we're going to end up covering a lot of those on the podcast. So so if you want more Stephen King, come back or come back next time. Yeah, if you want if you want us to keep covering King, send us suggestions for like what King project you really want us to hear us talk about. Because I know that we might do some of the new ones that are going to adapted like The Dark Tower. Um but also we want to we want to revisit older ones like like the Carrie and 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 you know Cujo and there's just a million other adaptations that we could touch on. So let us know which ones you're most interested in and we'll we'll keep a tally of like what we hear and and that'll affect what we do in the future yeah. for sure. I got to say selfishly I I really want to do the Dark Tower because yeah. I really I and just even if it's just to do the the book because and like I'm really excited for the new miniseries that's coming out but even if it's just to do the book, because I really, I am dying to know how he threads all this stuff together in a satisfying way. Yeah. Because 
because what I know of, of the Dark Tower is like the gunslinger stuff. So how does that tie in with this multiverse stuff and like the 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 man in you know, the man in black being pursued by yeah. the gunslinger? Who is the man in black? I don't know. Right. Um, I don't know. And, any and of I that also stuff, have yeah. read the stand, and you haven't, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so that that's another big one that probably connects very directly to the, to all of this and to uh and to the Dark Tower. Yeah crazy i i think i i'm really excited to cover that one because if only just to know like can he pull off this crate like is it is it you know what i mean does it does it live up to all of these other books yeah i don't uh, know people it's, be- it's, people absolutely love the dark tower series so um but i feel like i kind of needed to read a lot of these other novels to like make me want to read that now because yeah. now i want to know how it all connects and and i want to be able to catch little references and stuff but Right. Anyway, I think we've gone on long enough about our, our other King stuff we want to do in the future. Um, definitely make sure to come back next week when we uh, talk about this new movie. And uh, make sure to follow us on all of our social medias to see how to win that book. Because we're going to be announcing the winners on uh, April 12th. So stay tuned for that. Uh, until next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.